out our sheet for this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 10. We started this lesson two weeks ago, and then we were out last week. Um, Matthew, Mark chapter 10, not Matthew. Um, we're going to try and finish this lesson today. We're looking at verses 17 through 31. Verses 17 through 31. Again, like we did two weeks ago, we are not going to read them for the sake of time, but we are going to um, look at them individually as we go through the lesson. On the, two weeks ago, we talked about a long-running television game show called Let's Make a Deal. I don't remember, I think I've watched it a time or two, but I haven't watched it a great deal. But on that show... Contestants are asked to trade something of value for the chance to win an item of greater value. It's a game of chance, but sometimes a good deal of strategy has to go involved in determining the value of both the trade-in and the potential price. Well, this game show is just for entertainment. It's no laughing matter when a Christian or a non-believer comes to God with the attitude of let's make a deal. And that's what we see in these verses. Two weeks ago we looked at the first, the first group, and I'm not going to redo all of that lesson, Elijah, so you're going to have to kind of follow along. Um, we're going to skip around in the PowerPoint just a little bit. But um, we looked at a man last week that came to Jesus and he came with a proper approach. He came with urgency, he came with humility, and he came with respect. But he came to Jesus trying to make a deal with God. He said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I have eternal life? He thought that eternal life came by the way of something he could purchase or something that he could do. If I did this, then I would be right with God. He was looking to make a deal. The only way that we could come to Christ, the only way that we could receive the inheritance of, of, self, of that Christ offers to the believer, the only way that we can approach Christ is by admitting that we're nothing. We have nothing to offer him. He offers us everything. There is nothing good in any one of us. There is nothing that God, just to put it in a little bit different manner, God does not need us. He chooses to use us and work through us. There is no price that can be paid to receive the only commodity that brings God's favor. That commodity is grace. And when we come into God's presence, we would do well to recognize the fact that we only can enter into His presence through His grace. So we, we talked about this young man, but this young man was not the only one that had this problem. We, um, if you skip down in your notes, I, um, we'll start at the fundamental provision. The fundamental provision. 
right before the fundamental provision, there's a question, when is it impossible to receive the gift of God? It is impossible to receive the gift of God if our hands are still clutching material things of this world. If we're still holding on to this world, it's really impossible to receive and to live the Christian life that God wants us to live. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We, we cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in, in biblical Christianity. It just does not work. So we'll begin with the fundamental provision in Mark chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 31. And we'll start with 24 through 27. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. There is so much here to begin to unpack just in these first few verses. But when the apostles heard what Jesus was teaching, when the apostles heard what he said to this young man, they were astonished. They just could not believe what they were hearing. Conventional wisdom taught that riches were a mark of God's blessing. We still see that today. People still believe in churches today that if a man is wealthy, if a man has riches, if a man has status, then that is a sign or a mark of God's blessing. Most Jews thought that the possession of great wealth was the evidence of God's special blessing. Even today, people still cling to this error in spite of the message of Job, the example of Christ and the apostles, and the clear teaching of the New Testament. In the case of this young man, his wealth robbed him of God's greatest blessing, eternal life. Today, wealth continues to make rich people poor, and the first last. Conventional wisdom teaches that riches are a mark of God's blessing. To put it a little bit differently, in ministry standpoint, con conventional wisdom teaches that a mark of God's blessing is a large church. Not necessarily. I can think of a number of large churches that it is not a mark of God's blessing. The Jehovah's Witnesses in our area have a number of congregations, fairly large congregations. But it isn't God's blessings on that church that is causing them to grow or to have people. We need to make sure that we are evaluating success by God's measure and not the worldly measure of success. The worldly measure of success looks at people, it looks at money, it looks at status, it looks at influence. It looks at all of these things that make people look at you. Say, look at me, I have a bank account. Look at me, I have political power. Look at me, I have this, I have that. Well, God's measure of success comes from, um, remember what John the Baptist said in the book of John, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
success comes from in God's standard as we decrease and Christ increases. When people no longer see us, but instead they see Christ. That is the mark of spiritual success. When people no longer see Youngstown Baptist Church, instead they see Christ living and breathing and, and working throughout the nation. That is the mark of success. Christ continued in Mark chapter 10, verse 25. It says, he says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Some have speculated that this was not a reference to a literal needle, but the small gate on the wall of a city, often called the needle's eye. It was left open at night when the main gate was closed. A camel loaded with goods would not fit through this gate. It would have to be unloaded and would have to stoop, stoop in order to enter. But for people who hold on to their goods, the idea of unloading is just too much. In the same way, people cannot come to God on their own. There is only one way, and it requires unloading the goods of this world and trusting solely in Him. The only way to come to God is to put, our, put ourselves aside, put the world's thoughts aside, and recognize that, that He is the only way. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Salvation requires trusting solely in Him. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's not about anything I can do. It's about Him. It's not about how many times I have read the Bible or how much I have memorized the Word of God. It's about Him. I remember in Bible college for one of my assignments, I had to go interview a number of religious leaders of our city. It was really kind of interesting, but one of the guys that I interviewed was a Catholic priest. He was teaching at a state university there in um, Springfield, Missouri. And he had books of the Bible memorized. He knew his Bible inside and out. And really, in many ways, especially at that time, but he put me to shame. Because he knew his Bible. But he was as lost as lost as lost could be. He had the intellectual knowledge, but it had, it had never applied itself to his heart. Salvation is not about knowledge. It's about trusting in him. Salvation is not about knowing the word of God as important as that is. It's about trusting in Him. Seeing the impossibility of a camel passing through a needle's eye, the apostles protested, Who then can be saved? Jesus answered and said, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. We cannot save ourselves. It is not possible. It, salvation only comes through the free gift offered by Christ on Calvary, through His shed blood. With men, it is impossible. But with God, He takes the impossible, the, the impossible and makes it possible. 
Those who come to God through Christ, accepting His free gift of eternal life by faith because of His grace, shall be saved. The fundamental provision for salvation is not found in our finances, position, heritage, or religious devotion. It is only found in Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The foundational provision for salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. We need to be careful that we do not allow ministry to take the place of a relationship with Christ. I remember, again, going to Bible college. There were a number of people every year that would get saved in Bible college. These were people that had been active in their churches. They had been serving God. They, they had been doing ministry. Some of them had been teaching Sunday school classes and running bus routes and, and doing door-to-door -door visitation. They'd been active in ministry. But they didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. They were trying to earn their way to heaven through serving God. It does not work. We can only come to Him through His way, recognizing that He is the only way. He has supplied everything that we need. The fundamental provision for salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. It is not found in our work. It's not found in our ministry. It is not found in our status with men. It is not found in our church. It is only found in Jesus Christ. In verses 28 through 31, we see the foundational principle. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It's interesting to me that here we see, in the first part of this passage, we see the man, the young man, trying to make a deal with God. Saying, God, what must I do to have eternal life? What must, what must I buy to have eternal life? He's trying to make a deal with God. Here we have the disciples doing the same thing exact thing. God, I've given you everything. Let's make a deal. If I serve you, then what will you do for me? How will it benefit me if I serve you? They were also coming to God with the let's make a deal attitude. All of this talk about leaving things behind had the apostles rattled Peter spoke up and said, Well, we have left all and followed thee. In other words, Lord, we actually did give up everything for you. And the implication was, What is in it for me? What is in it for me? Our Christian service should not be motivated by what is in it for me. 
Our Christian service should be motivated primarily by a heart of love for our Savior and a heart of love for, for other believers and a heart of love for the lost. That should be our motivation for service. It's not what is in it for me. That's the world mindset. Just as he had done with the rich young man, Jesus addressed Peter's question with compassion and candor. He answered and said, Verily I say unto you, verses 29 through 31, There is no man that hath left house of brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. I find it interesting that he adds that there. Mm -hmm. And in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. With the exception of father and wives, the reward for giving everything in full surrender to Christ is a hundredfold. We don't have to be clever mathematicians to understand that a 100% increase is significant. The reward for giving everything to Christ in full surrender is a hundredfold. We don't know how this is measured out practically. But the measuring of rewards is up to God. And we know that He always keeps His word. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such that keep His covenant and His testimony. Psalms 25.10 The foundational principle is that if God is your heavenly Father, you need nothing more. The foundational principle is that if God is your heavenly Father, you need nothing more more. He provides for and takes care of those who live for Him. David wrote in the Psalms, I, I have been young and now I'm old and I have yet to see the righteous begging for bread. But you cannot receive His blessings with fence that are clinched around the things you consider to be your own. You cannot receive His blessings if you have one foot in the world and one foot serving Christ. It just does not work. God is calling us all to a life of full surrender. Not partial surrender. Not, 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 not wishy-washy Christianity. He's calling us to, to... Did I use the term crazy? Christianity? That's the way most of the world would look at it. You cannot receive his blessings living a double-minded, unstable life with part of you, part of your mindset being a world mindset and part of it being a, a spiritual Christ-honoring and lifting up mindset. It just does not work. He calls every one of us every single believer to 100% surrender to Him. I've said it often, I will say it again and again and again and again. It's not just the pastor or the missionary or the full-time Christian worker that is to be 100% surrendered to God. It is every single believer is to be 100% surrendered to God. It is also noteworthy that persecutions are mentioned because that is the lot of people who follow Christ. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, But God, God, um, 
I didn't write it down. 2 Timothy 3.12. For some reason, I'm, I had a typo in my notes and it didn't put it in my notes. So I have to look it up. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It doesn't say if you live godly, you might suffer persecution. If we are living a life that is pleasing and honoring to God, that is a life that is centered around full surrender to Him, the world, the world system, the governments around us, they are not going to like it. They are going to persecute us. It should not surprise us that churches bear the brunt of restrictions in the COVID-19 situation. It should not surprise us that there is persecution among believers. It should not surprise us when believers are, are told either, either change your ways or take a bullet to the head. It should not surprise us when that happens. God has promised, and I hate these masks. I'll just throw that out there right now. I, I hate these masks. Um, God has promised that as a believer, we will suffer persecution. But God can use persecution in a powerful way in our lives. The psalmist wrote, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. A little bit later in the same passage, he wrote, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. It may seem odd to consider trying times as blessings, but God makes it clear. It's part of the difference between the lost person and the saved person. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice! As believers, we should be rejoicing in the midst of our difficulties. I hate the restrictions that COVID has placed upon us probably as much as any person out there. But in midst of these difficulties, in midst of all of the problems, we should be rejoicing. All of this leads to Christ's point that there is more to life than this world. Great joy is found in the reality that in the world to come, there is eternal life. There is more to life than just what is exist, just a day-to-day -day grind. You know, I'm really glad that there is. Because if all there was was Monday through Friday, go to work, or Monday through Saturday, go to work, live, eat, breathe, and sleep, and... and that would be a horrible, dreary existence. But we know that there is more to life than this world. There is great joy found in the world to come. It always pays to serve God, regardless of what you already have or lack in this world. In Mark 10, 31, Jesus said, But many that are first shall be last, and the last first the people gathered there that day would have esteemed the rich young man to be first because of all that he had, whereas the disciples would have been thought last. But the accounting system Jesus uses will balance the books. 
the accounting system that Jesus uses will always will balance the book. It always pays to serve God. Always. We may not see the pay right now, but we will in the world to come. Let's not approach God with the let's make a deal attitude. Instead, let's serve Him out of hearts of love and gratefulness for what He has done for us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this passage. Lord, it is so easy to get caught up in the world's accounting system and to begin to look at it. What's in it for me? How can I benefit from this? Lord, help us not to have that attitude. Lord, help us not to have that motivation. But help us to serve you out of love and out of, out of a knowledge of what's to come, both for the lost and for the believer. As the Apostle Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, therefore we persuade men. Lord, help us to serve you with proper motivation, proper way of living. In your name we pray. Amen.